0: I am an African. You have a spirit of a Zulu. What kind of a spirit is that? What valor is needed to slaughter innocent children? You speak to me of an innocent? Those ships of yours? Where do they take the children of Africa? Is there a monster in your world who feeds on our flesh? Huh? Killing us all is not the answer. For when my king hears of this massacre, he will send more ships and more and more. You try to scare me, woman. For every man and woman that you kill tomorrow, he shall kill a hundred of yours. And then you shall strike back and so shall he until this land is drenched in the blood of our people. Only you can stop this. You have the power and compassion. And what would you have me do? Find forgiveness like your God. Is that not the greatest act of courage? How can I bug? with men who think I'm an animal. By showing them that you are not. ...how we deal with reality. Consciousness then will, in the fact that it determines how we are going to deal with reality, how we change reality, then is a power. Because ultimately, power is about enabling something to take place. The ability to do something. The ability to change something. The ability to adapt. The ability to defend oneself. The ability to change oneself in order to solve a problem. This is what culture is about. Culture is not static. Culture is not stuck in one place. Culture itself must reconstruct itself if the system in which it exists is reconstructed and rearranged. That is why some of us get in trouble because we want to find an African culture stuck somewhere back in the 13th century and want to apply it to ourselves at this point in a different context. African culture is not a culture stuck in place and time. African culture is constantly changing and evolving because the context in which African people live changes and evolves. What makes it African culture is that it operates in the interest of African people. It is designed to advance African people, and therefore the consciousness must be measured in terms of the degree to which it maintains our survival and advances our interests and puts us at the center of our concerns and at the center of our purposes. When then we talk about black culture, make sure we're not talking about a reactionary culture, a culture that has been generated by our reaction to our abuse by white folk and to our control and domination of white folk. Because it's a good part of what we call black culture that we need to exorcise from our psyches, so that we can evolve a culture and an African-centered culture to advance our interests as a people. Another very important aspect then of consciousness is what we call values. Those things that we prefer, those things that we see as right, those things that we think we we should need, those things, the pursuit of which determines our behavior, organizes our mind, Con- uh, values, or what I call di- the directional factors of consciousness. What are we talking about here? When you value something, and that value is implanted in your brain, the brain calls forth all of its resources, all of the content that it has, the knowledge it has available to it, the behavioral skills it has available to it, the cognitive skills, the thinking skills and things like that that it has available to it and organizes those things and relates those things one to each other in such a way that the value can be achieved. When we then think about something that we value and we want to realize something that we value, we consciously or unconsciously assess our minds and say, Do I have the relevant knowledge? Do I have the relevant skills? Do I have the relevant thinking and cognitive skills so that we can organize these knowledge and skills in a way that we can achieve those values? If we believe we have those skills, if we believe we have the content, if we appropriately organize those contents through thought, then we pursue those values. And chances are we may realize those values. If though we have those values, And we assess ourselves, we recognize that we don't have the appropriate skills, we don't have the appropriate knowledge and content, we don't have the appropriate thought styles and so forth, we then say, well, maybe we should develop the requisite skills, maybe we should learn the requisite knowledge, maybe we should develop the means of thinking. And once we do this, we will then organize them away in a way to achieve our values. Once we then have values and are guided by values, and those values guide those skills and contents and so forth, we are empowered to realize those values. And therefore, values are a type of power. Where am I going with this? I'm going with this to say this. If values are a type of power, if values are the things that guide our behavior, if culture is a type of power and consciousness is a type of power, and personality is a type of power. If we let another people determine the nature of our consciousness, our personality, and our values, they then gain power over us. If consciousness, culture, personality, and values are instruments of power, they then use our consciousness, our values, our culture, As their instruments of power. How does this work out in reality? They take our cultural products, our music, our song, and use them as their instruments of power. Yes, and benefit from them. So then what is an African-centered consciousness? An African-centered consciousness is one that is based on African-centered content based on African-centered knowledge, based on African-centered values, based on an African-centered consciousness. To the degree that our consciousness is based on African-centered values and so forth, we are empowered as African people. To the degree those values and consciousness are determined by other people, we become their instruments of power and they use us against ourselves so consequently if we are to be empowered and if our power is to work in our interest then our consciousness must be an african consciousness our values must be african values our personality must be an african-based personality if not we may suffer first ethnocide and then genocide what are we saying It means that our culture will not be functional in a way that it protects our interests. We must then as a people, develop a new African consciousness, an African-centered consciousness, and that means we must develop it based on an African history, African culture, and African values. Most of all, we must develop an African sense of nationhood to a great extent many of the problems we suffer today is a result of the fact that we do not see ourselves as a nation and yet we complain about how we are segregated from everybody else we complain about how we are not a part of the mainstream how we are not a part of the economy how we are shut out from the government and the political process. If we are not a part of these things, and yet these things are what defines a nation, then we are not a part of the American nation. That nation is a white nation. We are then, in effect, a de facto nation, but we are afraid to recognize it. If we looked at ourselves as a nation, we'd see many of the reasons why we are where we are as a people. Why? Because if we looked at ourselves as a nation, we would see why we have the problems we have. Why do we have some of the problems we have? For the same reason other African nations have the problems they have. Why? Because we permit our resources, human resources and material resources to be used by another people. We export them. We, like any other African nation, are an indebted nation. We're over-indebted. When we talk about the African nation suffering from over, overburdened, uh, being overburdened by debt, we don't recognize we're talking about ourselves. When I ask here tonight, how many of us owes another black institution, another black person major debt, we would get very few hands. But if I ask how many of us in this audience tonight Oh, a white person, a white institution, a non-African institution, great debts, we probably all had to raise our hands. If you recognize that then, and you add this up in terms of a nation, not if you, just to yourself as an individual, but if you look at all of us as individuals and in terms of a nation, you will recognize then that as a nation, we owe an enormous debt to other people. And one of the reasons why then we are poverty-stricken is not because we don't have money. It's because all of our money is being used to service the debt that other nations own, that the white nation in America owns. And because we spend so much time paying our installment plans and paying our money out to these other nations of people, we cannot save our money. We cannot accumulate our money and create wealth so that we can employ ourselves as a people, so that we can support our families as a people, so that we cannot build the schools we need to build to educate our children the way we need to educate them as a people. And consequently, we have the similar problems that all African nations have almost, where they cannot build highways or build schools or build hospitals or build institutions, communication systems and other systems Because all of the wealth that they are generating is being exported out to European nations and other nations to whom they owe debt. But you're going to see this when you look at yourself as a nation. And when you look at yourself as a nation, then you can see that you can change this problem by changing the debt relationship you have to other people. I was looking at an issue here the other day. When we're talking about looking at African nations, we talk about the African nations as monocultures, meaning that they often exist by shipping out one or two major products, cocoa or cocoa beans or or, or oil or gold or something like that. And they ship these products out into what we call a buyer's market. That is, the people they sell these products to set the prices that they're going to pay for these products so that many of these nations now are being paid less for their products than they were paid 30 years ago. And yet the nations that buy their products and lower the prices on their products are selling them back those products in process form and selling them back their own products that have been manufactured here for higher and higher prices. And then we wonder why Africa is in debt and why Africa is impoverished. But that is the result of the fact that they are caught up in an, an impoverishing mechanism. But we need not talk about the continental African because we are in the same situation here today. African, the African-American nation is a monoculture. What is the commodity that we sell? Labor. We're not selling much manufacturing. We're not selling much other products. The major commodity that we have to sell was the commodity that we were bought over here for in the first place. And what was that? Labor. And now we are selling our labor in a buyer's market, meaning that the people who buy our labor are buying it at the prices they set. And they keep devaluing the price that they're willing to pay for our labor. On top of devaluing the price, they're no longer even demanding the labor. So after a while, we won't be able to sell our labor at any price. And we will then be totally deprived as a people. And therefore, we are caught in a similar position. And just as there's social disorganization in our African nations, there's social disorganization in the American nation. You cannot have your wealth flowing out of your nation You cannot enrich other people at the expense of yourself and not have social disorganization. And that means then, if we look at ourselves as a nation, the African-American nation must do what all African nations must do. We must capture our own internal resources. We must gain control of our own internal markets. We must trade within ourselves as a people and a group and generate wealth within our own nation as a means of counterbalancing our dependence upon Europeans and upon the white nation itself. But in order to do this, we must have a nation consciousness. We must now organize and relate to ourselves as a nation of people. When we look at our relationship, we say to the Koreans as a nation, we see the same relationship that Japan has to America as a nation. You notice that they are bargaining right now, negotiating, right? Japan is building up its resources. It is blocking out U.S. industry from its nation, yet it is entering into the American markets and selling there, and taking out the wealth of the American markets. If we look at our relationship to Koreans, to Dominicans, to other groups, we'll see the same relationship where those groups can enter into the African American nation, set up shop, ship out its wealth day by day and night by night, And yet the African-American entrepreneurial nation is not permitted to set up shop in their midst, is not permitted to carry wealth from their their nations. And they then grow fat on the surplus that they gain from the African-American nation. This means then that if we think of ourselves as a nation, we must protect our internal market from the intrusion of outsiders. We must not permit them entry into our nation. As I look and I see down the 125th streets, yes, and look at our people locked outside there in the outside, and some people claim that they're protesting this kind of thing. I agree with our vendors there that if black men and black women cannot make a living on that street, then no other people should be permitted to make a living on that street. We are not obligated in any kind of way to feed the, the children of other people before we feed our own. But it's only if you think in terms of nationhood that you can resolve this kind of problem. We have tremendous possibilities as a black nation that we don't know where. You can see these white boys over there pursuing China, don't you? Right? They're over the China, knocking over each other to get to it. What is the China market worth? to the European. You know what the China market is worth to the European? $500 billion at this point. Do you know what the black market is worth to the European here in America? $400 billion. Our market is as much worth as much as the Chinese market, the Mexican market, which they've drawn up to to bring in NAFTA. It is worth as much and it's worth more than the market of Canada. You know? We are not able to place conditions on their entry into our markets by saying if you enter here, you are going to pay taxes. If you enter here, you're going to leave something here. If you enter here, you're going to leave money in the institutions. You're going to contribute to our schools. You're going to contribute to our recreational centers. You're going to contribute to the employment of our people and to the stability of our families. If you cannot contribute to these things, if you cannot create jobs, if you cannot contribute to the education of our people, then we cannot permit you to operate within our borders. This is the way a nation runs. You don't let another people walk in and have their way and walk out and leave your impoverished. as a people in the name of a free market. There's no such thing as a free market. Yeah, that's white folks propaganda, free and open market. No free market. They force people into that market. Castro was not free to say, I don't want to be a part of it. When he said, I don't want to be a part of it, they did what? Embargoed him and locked them out. The Chinese, the Japanese, in the early uh, part of the century said, we don't want to be a part of your market. What did the United States do? Sent Admiral Perry in there and blasted those markets open. What free markets do you have there? There are no such things as free markets. And when you learn that, you're going you, you, to be the better for it. And we got the market, but we are not taking advantage of it. We have gotten ourselves in a situation where we are locked out of other people's markets and we permit them into our own such that we are locked out of our own market. And then we wonder why we suffer the way we do. It is not because we are poor. If we were that poor and impoverished, then why do those people come to us to earn their living and their wealth? It means then we must be a wealthy people. I was looking over here at a recent report. You see, we have, as a people, everything that it needs to make a nation. We have telephones, fax machines, computers, highways, bridges, riverways, waterways, trucks, everything that many nations in the world, in fact, the vast majority of nations in the world, wish that they had available to them what the African-American nation has available to them. They wish they had the highways. They wish they had the trucks. They wish they had the trains. They wish they had the ships. They wish they had the computers, the telephones, and all of those kinds of things that you can just pick up and dial right away, and they don't have to be routed through France or somewhere else. The lights don't go off at two o'clock every day, or just flip on and off, you got it all here. Then why then are we not better off than we are? Because it is not enough, as I told you earlier, it is not enough to have gold in your soil, or oil in your soil, or diamonds in your soil. You must have a consciousness. It is only with an appropriate consciousness that these things can be transformed and converted into what? Wealth and power, and can be used for the advancement of a people and the survival of a people. The same is true here then. You cannot just have telephones and taxes and this and that and not just have money in your pocket. That's not enough. You must have a consciousness that transforms those phones and transforms those faxes into a communications network that unites a people across regions and places and cities and becomes a basis for a system of distribution a basis for uniting and creating a market from which one earns wealth to feed one's family and to stabilize one's social situation. But you can have all of these things, but if you don't have a sense of nation, if you don't have a group consciousness, if you do not identify yourself as a nation, then these are but so many instruments and becomes, as a matter of fact, the means by which we destroy ourselves. We're looking at the Black uh, Buying Power in America here, 1990 to 95. We got a report here called The Georgia Business and Economic Conditions, published here by the Selleck Center, the University of Georgia, titled Black Buying Power by Place of Residence, 1990 uh, to 95. The second of a two-part analysis of buying power in specific markets, what are we talking about here? Is this published for us? No. What it's published for is for white folks. And it's telling them how much money black folk got. And it's telling them that the fact the money black folk got is the difference between their success and their failure. It reads in part here, Georgia's African American uh, population thus controls approximately 16 cents each day.